Welcome to the Ministry Marks Podcast. My name is Thomas Majors, and I'm joined by David Haynes remotely. He is in Fulton, and I am in Corinth. And David, it's been a while since we've recorded. It's probably been uh, three weeks, two weeks. How long has it been? Yeah, hey, it's been too long, man, since we recorded. And, and Thomas, really, the reason why we've not been able to record is our lives as pastors have been turned upside down to the due to the coronavirus pandemic. And, dude, we are so busy, or at least I find myself being so busy. How about you? Oh, yeah, I'm busy. There's There's a ton of stuff to do at the church. You don't get the face-to-face contact, the personal contact that you normally would with a church member, but there is plenty to do. It feels like the administrative load of churches has tripled uh, because of the coronavirus. Yes, that is correct. And I'm sure most pastors are like us. We are looking forward to ministry getting back to normal or at least a new normal, which is closer to what we're used to and our lives are adjusted to. That's what we're looking forward to. I'm ready to start a petition myself to flatten the curve and that is to flatten the curve of the coronavirus ministry craziness <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> that's what it feels like right now. It's just we're, we're yeah. reaching the peak of the craziness. <laughs> yeah, man, I will sign that petition gladly. <laughs> well, today for our topic, we have funeral ministry. And one of the things about funeral, uh, one of the things about being a pastor is that there will be an opportunity to participate in a funeral whether you are the one who is conducting the funeral or just assisting, whether you're a small uh, small church pastor or a large church pastor, funeral ministry and the ministry to the bereaved is part of almost a, a weekly occurrence for me and uh, could be a, almost a daily occurrence for some pastors, I'm sure. But it is a great opportunity. And when you think about ministry and funeral ministry, it's a unique opportunity. It's unique in the sense that every family is different. One family does not grieve the same as another family. It's unique in that the circumstances of that person's life who has died and the circumstances even of their death change from one family or one person to the next. And so all of that is unique. It's, it's unique also in that a lot of times that family that has been away from the church or that family who is barely connected to the church is looking for help a lot of times. So it's a unique and it's a great opportunity uh, for the gospel as well. With a funeral ministry, you get to preach the gospel to people who probably have not heard, some have not heard the gospel in many years or ever. There is also the opportunity for just ministry to be able to weep with someone who weeps. But it's also an opportunity for the church as well, and that the church gets to reach out to those to those people. So it's a ministry, a funeral ministry. So David, when we're talking about funeral ministry, what are some of the best practices that a that a pastor should do? 
Yeah, well, Thomas, I agree with everything you've said. Funerals are unique times when a family can be ministered to by a church and by a pastor. And you've asked me about some of the pastor's best practices. And honestly, I think our best practices are often learned through experience. It's not something that we learn in a formal classroom setting. I recall as I graduated from Blue Mountain College in 2010, Dr. Meeks, uh, the what he's now the chair of the Biblical Studies Department, asked if there was anything that was lacking in the biblical studies education. And I racked my brain because I had taken most of the courses offered, most of the classes offered, and I thought, well, funerals. We've not really discussed funerals. We never really touched funerals, which whenever I graduated from Blue Mountain, I had been a pastor for five years and had been in full-time ministry for nine years. And so so I had been around funerals a little bit. And I often think about those guys who were in the classes beside me that they would be they would be leaving out to go be youth guys and go be associate pastors and go be pastors. And and often a funeral is something you have to learn by experience. The first funeral that I did was for a young man who had had a car accident and then passed away a few days after that car accident. I was able to talk with him in between time and minister to their family while he was in the hospital. And once he passed away, the family reached out to me to preach his funeral. Well, they didn't know it, but I had never preached a funeral before. And here I was tasked with preaching the funeral of a of a teenage young man. And I remember the funeral home was packed out that day as I, as I preached that funeral. And then we went in a procession to another state, to a city about four hours away. And, uh, and so I was I was, man, I jumped in the deep end of that pool very quickly. And so I didn't know much about funerals, but I arrived to the funeral home very early that day, probably an hour or more before the service. And I talked to the funeral director and I said, I've never done a funeral. Would you please tell me everything that I need to know? He was a very trustworthy age seasoned funeral director. And the information he gave me and the advice that he gave me back then, that's been almost 20 years ago is the, or those are the steps that I still follow today. I still do the things that I was taught to do back then. And so Thomas, one thing I learned early on that is a good practice for a pastor is to be there at the first viewing. I've learned through the ministry, that's not something a lot of pastors do. But typically, if I'm asked to do the funeral, and if I am the pastor of the person, I'm going to be there at the first viewing, which is usually Usually 30 minutes to an hour before the family visitation or the memorial service. And the family just has a kind of a quiet time where they go back and and they look at the body, which is prepared for burial for the first time. And it is very emotional. And I understand why pastors don't do that. A lot of pastors probably don't know what to do or say. And, and, and hey, I'm right there with them. I went to a first viewing last week, and I found myself thinking this is awkward, but it is something that I'm called to do as I minister through to the family through the funeral. And after the, the children, the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren go by and they see, and after the, after the family goes by and they view the person, then I usually call the attention of the family. And I say, guys, I just want to pray for you. And then we have a prayer. During that prayer, I ask that God will bless and strengthen the family and that they'll be able to remember many of the good things they'll be hearing that day as loved ones come through and tell the the story and express their sympathies. And I and, and I just want the Lord to be with them and bless them during that time. So Thomas, I think being at the first viewing is a good practice for a pastor. 
So when you go to the first viewing, do you pray with them before they open the doors? Or do you, what, what do you do there? For me, and I'll let you know what I do, when I go to the first viewing, I'm always there early. I usually get there before the family actually gets there. And then I, um, I ask the funeral directors if I can pray with the family before they ever go into the room to view their loved one. And then before they open it up to the public, which is, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, then I ask to pray with them again. So I'm praying with them twice, and then I'm praying for specific things in both of those prayers. How do you, how do, you do that ministry part? Okay. What I typically do is only pray with the family after the first viewing. I, I'm there with them, and I you know, just talk with them, really just there. So ministry of presence to them. And then as they go and view, I'm going to say it'll be five to 10 minutes after the first viewing, and then which will be 25 to 30 minutes before public viewing. That's whenever I pray. So I'll only pray one time with the family prior to visitation instead of the two times like you do. But I think what you do is a fan. I think it's a fantastic idea. And I think that's a, that's a good way, a good ministry model. Thomas, what, you know, I talked a little bit about my first funeral, but what was your first funeral like? I really don't remember my first funeral. I I do remember the first time I participated in a funeral, and it was a graveside service. We had a graveside service at Tiplersville Baptist Church. The person was living in Memphis, but he had been a longtime member of Tiplersville. Uh, well, he had been. His wife is the one who had passed away, and so they had the funeral in Memphis because that's where they had lived for the last few years. And then they wanted to be buried at Tiplersville Cemetery. I went to the funeral in Memphis, came back, and I did the graveside service. That's that's the first funeral I ever remember participating in, but I don't remember the first funeral I've ever preached. Thomas, what do you wear typically to a funeral? If you're going to be preaching a funeral, what do you wear? I always wear a suit. Yes. I'll wear a gray suit. I'll wear a blue suit. I'll wear a brown suit. I, I might wear a, a red tie or a blue tie or, or something like that. I'm not going to dress in all black, typically. Yeah. Uh, I will have a little bit of color uh, on my person just because it's, it's a little bit of my personality. But, but I think everything we do is, uh, is important. And I don't believe funerals should be sad things. And so that's the reason I don't wear all black. Yeah, I got you. I, I wear a suit as well uh, for my grandmother's funeral that I did uh, about a year ago. I wore a red tie, which was her favorite color, and I wore that for her. But other than that, I actually have a funeral tie that I never wear any other time. And it goes back to a story I read or heard years ago where a church member noticed that at the funeral for their loved one, the pastor wore this tie. And then every time the pastor wore this tie to a regular Sunday service, it negatively affected 
the family or that family member of the deceased of that of that loved one and and whenever i heard that i said i need to designate a tie to be funeral tie only and i'll never wear it any other time i have a gray tie and i only wear it for funerals and it has been like that for years the only time i'll ever wear that tie is funerals and i'll never wear it to church just because i don't want that to happen now i'm sure that would never happen with with me or with my ministry. I'm sure what I read or what I heard was just a, an odd occurrence, but I don't want to give it an opportunity to negatively affect someone in my church. And so, but I agree with you, dress nice, dress nice, look nice. And and uh, and try your best to not let there be any distraction to uh, the ministry during a funeral. I have had maybe one funeral that that I participated in where they asked me not to wear a suit. They asked really? me to wear something that was on par with what the pallbearers and the family would be wearing. And I wow. graciously agreed to do so because it's yeah. a ministry to the family. You know, Thomas, something else I learned years ago about a funeral is whenever you're reading the obit, there are sometimes people's names that are interesting. And I, I never read a person's last name because it just, it saves on time. And, you know, the deceased is survived by husband and out first name, children, first name, spouse, first name. Uh, so I don't mention last names, but then there are some interesting first names that, that I don't know how to pronounce them. It's something I learned years ago is if there's a name where you're not sure, you're not sure how they pronounce now, so you could even say it could be a common name like Elena or Alana. Uh, I have seen the same name or I've seen the name spelled the same way but pronounced differently. Always go to someone that I know, someone that I know in the family, someone that I can trust and say, hey, this is your cousin. I'm pretty sure. How do you pronounce his or her name? And then I learn how that person says their name because I don't. I don't want to be mispronouncing a person's name at their at their loved one's funeral whenever I'm reading the obit. And something else that is always interesting: the funeral home dynamic is so different because of the audio systems. It seems to me that. Funeral home audio systems are always super sensitive, and it's not like preaching in, in our churches. Like in your church where you preach at week in and week out, you know the details of the audio system, and you know where to stand and how to do everything. And typically at a funeral home, you're using a pulpit mic, and it's usually, for me, it is over oversensitive. So you have to watch how you touch the pulpit because it may make it pop. Yep. You, you have to watch different things, and the lighting is usually different. The sound is usually different. And for me, the best thing that I do is I try to slow my speech greatly in which I usually talk fast. I will slow my speech greatly so that I can easily adjust to a sensitive microphone, to a lighting indifference, whatever the case may be. And so I drastically slow my speech down for the purpose of adjustment in whatever I need to adjust to at this funeral home setting. What's some other advice you would give to pastors? I think those are, are very good. And especially the one about the names, uh, figuring out how to pronounce names, because there have been times where I've been to a funeral and someone pronounces a name wrong and you can see everyone in the family look at someone else and then they'll shake their head or they'll give a disgusted look or, and it just reveals that that pastor or that person who is conducting that funeral service 
has not done their homework and does not know the family or know that person. And so I've, I always ask as well, one of the things that I do as well, and maybe you do, is I, I rewrite the obituary. I'm not sure if those funeral directors go to like an obituary writing school or class, (laughs) but they're all written about the same and some of them are bad. Okay. They're bad. The the grammar in them is bad. The way the wording, uh, the progression of the words is just wrong. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't seem natural. And, and so I usually rewrite the obituary if I'm going to be doing that part of the, of the service. And so I rewrite it so it, it sounds more like a person talking instead of a person reading an obituary, an obituary notice. So I would encourage, you know, pastors to do that as well, to think through that obituary before you actually get up there and to read it and say it. You are a hundred percent correct. I take the obit and then I underline what I want to use in the obit. And then between the underlined words, I will put in my editorial phrases and what I want to say. I always begin reading the obit by mentioning we are gathered here today to honor the memory of. Whenever I did my very first funeral, that fucking funeral director said, so I'll tell you something I've been saying for years and we're pretty well. We're gathered here today to honor the memory of. I thought, ooh, I like that. And so, and you're right, I will take what is good in the obit and the way that it flows often i'll take something from the end and put it at the beginning rearrange stuff you're right because all obits almost sound the same and it does seem impersonal if you get up there and only read what was written and somebody just read previously in the newspaper that morning you want to kind of make it your own yeah there was a funeral home in ripley that when they would give you the obit notice that they would have listed beside how old the person was. You know, there's always like a birth date and a death date. And then they would list out how old that person was and they would list it down to the day. Uh And so they would say that this person was, you know, on the obituary notice, 39 years old, nine months and three days old. And yeah. so they, they would list it out and it got me to thinking. And, and now I do this for almost every sermon I preach. I will mention how old that person is in days. Oh, okay. And so just in days in just in days, I will say right. something like, well, she, she lived 80 years. Well, that's, and I'll list out how many days that she lived because every one of those days is important. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good, man. That's and really so, good. and so I try to make a point of, of emphasizing the days that a person lived because, Hey, I may not have known that person for every one of those days, but somebody did. And those days mm-hmm. are important. Yeah. Our lives yeah, are important. Right. And I think we're communicating that with funeral ministry. That yeah, life is yeah. important. Yeah, yeah, man. Hey, I, I, I totally agree, Thomas. What, what, what's some advice to some families? Like, if somebody is listening and, and they're thinking about preparing for their funeral or writing some things down, what's something that a family can help a pastor with when it comes to the ministry of a funeral? 
I would think the preparation and by preparation, I mean, you know, go ahead and have some songs picked out. Um, go ahead and have who you would want to preach the funeral to have that picked out. Also to have those pallbearers picked out. And it's just, it's just an added service to your family if you have all of that decided because they need to be able to grieve. They don't need to, to have to go to a funeral home and to work with a funeral director and a preacher for an hour or two hours and be thinking through all of these details and trying to get all of the music and trying to find out about the, you know, they just need to grieve. And so one of the greatest things that we can do for a family, for our families, is to go ahead and prepare for that day that our, for our funeral. And so I would encourage people who are listening to go ahead and start thinking through that in a good place in your ministry uh, of your own death <laughs> would be yeah. to, uh, to have a will and to have some things already in place so that when you die, the family just knows this is where we look. This is what we're going to do. And this is how they wanted it. Yeah, Thomas, man, I think that's really good. While while families are picking out music, they should think of tasteful music. This will be a a, a funeral setting. Uh, you may not want to get the deceased favorite song. Well, man, he loved that old Brooks and Dunn song, Boot Scoot and Boogie, and that's what he wanted played at his funeral. Hey, think about the grieving aspect of it and consider tasteful music and i would say consider christian music and and christian music which glorifies the lord even through a period of grieving or suffering which a family is going through so i would say use tasteful music i i, I would also for a family share stories of the deceased loved one with the preaching pastor whoever's going to be preaching this funeral let him know your favorite story of mama or brother or whomever it might be so that they can help identify and see some of the personality of the deceased person with their family so i think that is something that uh, that families could do and then also if a if the deceased person had a family Bible or a daily Bible that they read if they had their Bible they took the church if, if you would let or at least give the pastor an option to use that Bible, I think it would mean a lot to the people. I recall the first time I ever saw that done. I was serving a church in Oakland County as youth guy, and there was a personal friend of mine who passed away. He, did, he didn't attend church with us. He attended another church. He attended Oakland Baptist Church in Corinth, Mississippi. And I went to that funeral, and Randy Bostick preached the funeral. And I remember he stood up there that, that day. The young man's name was Josh. And he said, I'm using Josh's Bible today. And, and it meant so much to me sitting in the, you know, with the grieving friend sitting out there. And I thought, ooh, I like that. And every time I've had the opportunity, I've used the person's Bible. There was even one time when we had a deacon here at Trinity Baptist Church. He was a horseman. He trained horses for a living. And he got struck and killed. Uh, he was riding a horse and was struck in, by lightning and killed. And, uh, and his family offered his Bible to me for me to use. And as I looked through it, he had a sermon title and three points in his notes that I don't know where he picked it up at. 
And I said, that's what I'm preaching. And I preached that sermon title and his three points. All I had was a title and three points. And then I fleshed out that skeletal outline and I preached his own sermon at his funeral. And, uh, and I think that's a good thing for a pastor to do if, if the situation is right. And if, and if he can use the, the deceased person's Bible. So that's something else I would have families consider. Have you ever had a funeral service where someone used distasteful music? I, I never have, but I have heard of a pastor who has been through that. It was uh, it was a country song uh, that was uh, that should not have been used in a setting like that. But I've never been part of that myself. Have you? At one of the churches I've served, there was a family who uh, wanted to pick out the music for the funeral, and it was. The funeral was going to be held at the church in the sanctuary. And so we, of course, we let families pick out their, their music, but we reserve the right to go through that music and to make sure that there is in, nothing inappropriate in that music. And so as one of the people was going through the music, there was cuss words in it and that there was inappropriate language. Um, you know, some innuendos and things like that. And so we would not let that family use that music. And they got um, quite upset with us because we would not let them do so. Uh, Thomas, one thing I noticed in Itawamba County, uh, which what I found out is churches in different counties kind of have a different, different ideas. In Alcorn County, where you currently serve and where I grew up at, Many churches hosted funerals, um, but in Prentice County, where I served for over 10 years, that was rare. You went to a funeral home, and you had the the, the visitation, you had the, the memorial, you had the services at a funeral home. In Itawamba County, it's very similar to that, where you have the services at funeral homes, and it's not so much a service at, at a church. But one thing that Itawamba County does, and they are so good at, is offering the grieving families a meal. And I think that is a fantastic ministry of a church to a family. Typically, at the close of a service, if you're going to be having a graveside service or not, and if you even and go to the graveside, and then you close out the service at a graveside, there's usually going to be an hour to an hour and a half until everything is fully prepared, until the until the the, the, the casket is in the ground and, uh, and the, the, the grave is sealed, and then the flowers are put over the freshly dug grave in a very beautiful way. It takes up the funeral home an hour, hour and a half to get that done. And so Nittawamba County, our church offers a meal. Come to our church and just sit there. Sit there and talk and eat and enjoy the fellowship with one another. I'm always there, or typically I'm always there for the funeral meal to ask the blessing on the food and to then ask the family to stay as long as they want to stay. And, and then after the grave will be prepared in about an hour or so, and you can go back to the grave and you can see the prepared grave. So I think that's something that Itawamba County churches do well. Do Alcorn County churches do the, the meal for the grieving family? Well, I. I don't know about all all Corn Baptist uh, churches, but but I do know that every church that I've served, uh, either they've done it or I've led them to do it. So we've done it at Tiplersville, Pleasant Ridge, and Holly, and just something, especially if they are a church member, and then if it is a person of the community who uh, who gives us an opportunity to minister to them and their family, we will we will offer that to the family as well, but. 
So that's Tippa, Union, and Alcorn. You know, you know, Thomas. Speaking of requests earlier, you had mentioned that uh, someone requested that you dress in a certain way, you know, to help minister to the family. And that whenever you mentioned that, I thought of something funny. Uh, I occasionally get requests, and it is, "Hey, preacher, would you want to do my funeral whenever I die?" And there's a guy that goes to church with us. He actually went to high school with you. His name is Jason. And uh, Jason, about every four or five months, will call me up, and I'll see his number on my caller ID on my phone, and I'll answer it, and he'll say, "Hey." When you preach my funeral, you better not preach at Dash. <laughs> you know, you heard yeah. you've heard preachers say they were born in nineteen twenty and they died in nineteen ninety nine, but this that dash that matters so much. And and he is not a fan of Dash funeral sermons. And so I have I have told him that if I outlive him, I am one hundred percent preaching the dash at his funeral. He is going to have a dash funeral sermon. So you know that's uh, based so, upon a poem, right? I I didn't know that. Tell me more. There's there's a poem that's called the dash and it's it's really good. It's a really good yeah. poem. You ought to you ought to look it up. You ought to Google it. I don't have it in front of me but yeah. You ought to Google it and read it. It's it's good. You know, I'll do that. And I will incorporate that into my Dash sermon, his funeral when he right. dies. So I will do that. I will preach the Dash and I'll read the Dash poem. So, man, that is really good. Well, Thomas, it is a pleasure to be able to talk with you again. And hopefully we're going to be able to release uh, podcasts more regularly as life gets back to uh, a new normal very soon, hopefully. But thank you so much for listening to the Ministry Marks podcast, and we hope you join us again next time.